Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly web scene for the global church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is entitled, The Greatest of These, and is based upon the lectionary readings for January 30th, 2022, the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany. Some of the most famous and oft-quoted lines in scripture come from this week's epistle. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Love is patient. Love is kind. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Nowadays, we usually hear St. Paul's poetic love chapter quoted at weddings. Love never ends appears in calligraphy on creamy white invitations. Couples meeting at the altar hold hands, and promise to share love, the greatest of all spiritual and human gifts. Pastors encourage brides and grooms to bear, believe, hope, and endure in a spirit of mutual, self-giving love. How odd, then, to return this famous Bible passage to its original context and realize that Paul's lofty, lyrical letter is not aimed at starry-eyed lovers. Paul isn't writing to people who cherish and desire each other. He's writing to people who can't stand the sight of each other. Paul is no priest at the top of an aisle waiting to witness and consecrate young love. He's a frustrated and bewildered spiritual leader calling an errant and self-destructive church to get its act together before it destroys itself. 1 Corinthians 13 isn't a wedding homily. It is, in Lutheran priest Nadia Boltz Weber's words, a smackdown. If you read the first 12 chapters of Paul's epistle, you get a fairly clear picture of what he's responding to when he describes the Corinthians' loveless piety as empty, futile, and discordant. The church has split into factions. People are pitting their favorite religious teachers against each other. Everyone's vying for power and prominence. Congregants are taking each other to court. The folks who speak in tongues believe they're superior to those who don't. People who shouldn't be sleeping with each other are hooking up shamelessly. Worshippers are fighting over everything, from food to circumcision to celibacy to head coverings. The Eucharist has devolved into drunkenness and gluttony, and the poor in the church are going hungry. In other words, the Corinthian church is a church where all hell has broken loose. Far from honoring each other as fellow members of Christ's body, the recipients of Paul's letter are tearing each other apart while piety, self-righteousness, and spiritual one-upmanship are very much on display in their ranks. The love that never ends is not. Lest we 21st century Christians think that the Corinthian church's failings are unique, let's look more closely at Paul's smackdown. It's not simply that love must outweigh the obvious bad things in our lives, things like greed, envy, lust, and hatred. Love must even outweigh the quote-unquote good things, Spiritual gifts, Paul writes, beautiful, life-giving, church-enhancing gifts given by God himself are worthless in the absence of love. Prophetic power, the ability to discern the Holy Spirit's movements in the world and unveil the hidden truths of our time, is meaningless without love. Knowledge, a deep and comprehensive understanding of all that we consider mysterious or esoteric in our cosmos, is garbage when divorced from love. Faith itself, that much-touted gift the writer of Hebrews describes as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, is nothing 
without love. Do we actually believe this? Not in theory, but in practice. Do we really value love more than we value being right, growing wise, wielding power, amassing wealth, acquiring knowledge, feeling seen, doing good? In the context of the church, we really give love primacy over right doctrine, beautiful liturgy, eloquent sermonizing, skilled administration, and generous giving. Before we say yes, we do well to notice that Paul's love chapter has little to say about love as a feeling. The love he describes is robust and dynamic. Think verbs, not adjectives. Love is not an emotion. It's not something we wait around for or fall into. It is muscle, movement, sweat, action. Love acts patiently and kindly. Love acts against the impulses of envy, arrogance, irritation. Love yields, love rejoices, love refrains, love endures. In other words, love doesn't stand around waiting for warm fuzzies. Love gets up and gets moving. What would such intentional and active love have looked like among the ancient Christians in Corinth? Perhaps it would have looked like the poorest members of the church, the slaves, the widows, the orphans, receiving the communion meal first. Perhaps it would have looked like the parishioners with the most dazzling spiritual gifts, the gifts everyone admired, taking a deliberate step back to make room for those whose gifts were historically devalued. Perhaps it would have looked like people honoring and supporting each other's marriages and bodies. Perhaps it would have looked like people in rival factions gathering for honest, empathic, restorative conversation. Perhaps it would have looked like people helping each other overcome addiction. Perhaps it would have looked like sacrificial hospitality. Perhaps it would have looked like confession, absolution, reconciliation, an amendment of life. What would the love of 1 Corinthians 13 look like in your context? What does it look like? What does it look like in the places you inhabit, the people you care about, the parishioners you serve? When I think about Paul sitting down to write about love, I think about a man whose deep and earnest religiosity led him to sanction intolerance, hatred, violence, and murder, until a shocking encounter with love on the Damascus Road changed everything. I think about a faithful and erudite believer in God who had to be struck blind by love so he'd finally learn how to see. I think about a man whose zealous faith rendered him a terror before love transformed him and taught him how to love and be loved. Paul is able to write about love with such authority only because he knows firsthand what it can do. When he looks at the train wreck of the Corinthian church, he's able to remain hopeful because he knows what God's love did to his own stony self-righteous heart. Perhaps we should stop calling 1 Corinthians 13 the love chapter and call it the Christ chapter instead. Because the love Paul describes in this lectionary reading is the Christ. It is God incarnate who bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. It is Jesus who is patient and kind, Jesus who doesn't envy, boast, or rejoice in wrongdoing, Jesus whose love will never end. If this were not true, there would have been no hope for the Corinthian church 2,000 years ago, and there would be no hope for us now. Left to ourselves, we cannot love in the ways Paul describes so beautifully. We can't stop wounding each other, distrusting each other, sabotaging each other, and betraying each other. We can't stop trying to earn or buy love. We can't figure out how to recover from cheapened, broken love. We can't stop falling in love and out of love. The only hope we have is a hope Paul clung to, the hope that Jesus will love us into loving.
that he will be love in us, around us, through us, and for us. That in his generous, self-giving, cruciform love, we will find a source of life so lavish and plentiful, we'll be able to give the love of God away left and right. Even after everything else in this life fades away, love will remain. Love in love's tremulous, searing beauty will remain. And the mirror, clear at last, will show us what we long now to see. Love itself gazing back at us. The greatest of all things. For books this week, Dan reviews Out Love, a queer Christian survival story by Julie Rogers. Julie Rogers was 10 years old when she thought she was gay. She was sure of it by the time she hit middle school. She eventually came out to her fundamentalist mother her junior year of high school. It eventually took about 20 years until she was 30 to make peace with her body and to fully embrace her homosexuality. This memoir chronicles her long journey into the light. For those 20 long years, Rogers worked and prayed hard to be a good Christian in what she was told was a bad body. She did everything her evangelical mentors told her to do. It's hard to imagine anyone more deeply committed to becoming straight. Quote, my entire life revolved around trying not to be gay. She spent 10 years as a leader in Exodus International, which was founded in 1976 and then closed in 2013, after which leaders acknowledged how completely wrong they had been in their effort to convert gays, the crushing realization about the horrible damage they had done to the people they thought they were helping, and how they had lied about their own continued same-sex attractions while claiming to be healed. She also endured what she calls a debacle as the first openly gay chaplain at the deeply conservative Wheaton College near Chicago. Rogers paid a horrible personal price, as many thousands of gays have, for trying to pray away the gay, namely eating disorders, burning herself, and a self-loathing after being told for 20 years that she was an abomination to God for sexual desires she did not choose and could not change. Rogers finally listened to her own experience, the stories of gays who were similarly damaged by conversion therapy, and to the voice of her conscience over shame-based religious authority. This isn't an angry book like it might have been. Rogers merely asks readers to consider her story. Quote, maybe anti-gay Christians just don't understand. Maybe if someone like me told the truth about myself and stayed in the evangelical church, they would see the humanity of queer people and be moved to embrace us. Maybe we could grow in love together. Out Love was released in conjunction with the Netflix movie Pray Away about the rise and fall of Exodus International. For films this week, Dan reviews Henry VIII's Reformation. Calling all Anglicans and Episcopalians, if you would like to refresh your knowledge of your historical roots, this one-hour documentary by PBS is a great place to start. It originally aired August 29, 2021, and is narrated by the delightful Lucy Worsley, dressed in period costumes, who jokes that by day she is the chief curator at historic royal palaces and by night a writer of history books. She is best known as a regular presenter on the BBC. Henry's salacious love story makes for a fabulous royal soap opera. But was Anne Boleyn, the sister of his mistress, more than a slut-shamed sex pot? Political manipulator, religious reformer in her own right? So began the English Reformation, says Worsley. But how did it end? Henry died a Catholic despite the attempts of his fixer, the radical Protestant Thomas Cromwell. Boleyn and Cromwell were executed, followed by the wild swings of Henry's successors. In Worsley's telling, the consequences of Henry VIII's Reformation are splitting the country today, with the exceptionalist insistence of the small island nation being religiously free of Rome and politically independent of continental Europe. 
For a deeper dive on this subject, see the biography by Alison Weir, Henry VIII, The King and His Court, 2002, Alec Ryrie, The English Reformation, A Very Brief History, 2020, and Dire Maid McCulloch, Thomas Cromwell, A Revolutionary Life, 2018. And lastly, for poetry on this fourth Sunday after the Epiphany, Love, Three, by George Herbert. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew near to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful, ah, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame. My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for January 30th, 2022. 2022. I'm Debbie Thomas.